listening to episode 110 of Shades Midweek. This is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is John Mark DeRoe, and I'm joined as usual by Mr. Jonathan Hafes and fresh off of vacation, Mr. Brad Brown. Yep. I wish I could say it's good to be back, but I wish I was still at the beach. Uh, you're looking I a little tan you. over there. Practicing vulnerability and honesty. Yep. I use uh, SPF 50 this time, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I didn't want to get burned. I don't know if you guys have the experience of maybe you're a little overconfident the first beach day. <laughs> Never. And I am what is referred to as pale white. And so I tend to go from white as a sheet to red. As a lobster. As a lobster, yes. <laughs> but that did not happen this time. I've grown in wisdom and stature, and I put on the highest sunscreen I could find. So, yes, I'm, a, I'm just, you know, a little tan, but nothing painful. Well, well there you go. There you go. This was, uh, this was a baby moon, one could say, for you and Jordan. That's right. I, I would like to officially announce. We, I heard we you guys talked about week. it last week, yeah, sorry you about jerks. That. <laughs> Listen, all we said were good and kind things about you throughout the entire episode. Yes. Jordan and I are pregnant, mostly Jordan. (laughs) Isn't that just like the most classic pastor thing to say? I feel like people always say that. Like, my wife and I are pregnant, mostly my wife. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we are. And she is, oh, crap, Uh, 16 weeks, 17 weeks. There you go. I didn't say, oh, crap, because you're 17 weeks. I was saying that because I forgot. Forgot but, yep. how many weeks. Eventually, you get to quit the, the week counting. Once the, once the kid is here, then you count in months. And you have to do that for some reason for two years. Mm. You don't get to start counting in years until they reach two years of age. Right. I don't know why That's that so is. That's so confusing and but, not good for someone like me that hates math. Yeah, well, anyway. He's, yep. 20, he's 21 months. Um, okay. <laughs> do you yeah, want to do you uh, want to reveal anything else? We don't have to. Do you gender want to reveal, reveal gender? Yeah. Um, what hold are we on, gonna c- cut a cake right now? Wait. Blue or pink or something? <laughs> hold on. We're we're holding on. Do, you got something <laughs> special? Oh, there it is. There it is. It's a girl. Oh, <laughs> it's a girl. <laughs> really, I really nailed that cue. Yeah, man. Yes, yes, a little girl. That's so, exciting. That's awesome. Yes, very excited. I thought it was going to be a boy. There's a there's a video of me jokingly saying that God told me it's going to be a boy so that this scientific gender reveal is arbitrary, and then it was a girl. <laughs> but, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Well, Brad, uh, it's nice of you to share that news. I have... A little bit of news in my own life that is uh, debatably just as important as your news. Yeah, you can what? you can hear this. That was a great transition. I, I am I am right here on Shades Midweek, opening a brand new Shades coffee mug. Yes. Wow, in person. Yes. yes, yes. I'm staring at this and holding it now for the first time. Listeners, you can see exactly what it looks like on the Shades Songs Instagram. So, yeah, so y'all know we've talked about for several weeks now the the new album that's been put out by Shades Songs. And uh, and they're doing a couple things to help promote and pay for the album because a lot of them graciously funded this album out of their own pockets. Yes. And so they kind of got to uh, remake a little bit of that. <laughs> and, right. and And it also helped them to do future projects and stuff. And so when I saw, I'm pretty sure they chose to make a coffee mug 
just because they knew I would buy it. I knew Jonathan would buy all ten. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, but anyway, I don't even know how much I paid for this coffee mug because it didn't matter. <laughs> it didn't, even it look. didn't matter. It didn't Whatever matter. it was, they could have said it's a hundred dollars, and I would have. I would have. Wow, I love coffee. I'm really mugs. kicking myself now. No, I, I believe it was eighteen dollars. And if you would like to see the coffee mug, order a coffee mug. You can just do that through their Instagram account, yes. which is Shades Songs. Uh, they also have T-shirts available, all sorts of stuff like that. So. Go check it out because uh, word on the street, I think they still need money. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the plug. Yes. Go to shadesongs.com. You can click a link there. You can go to our Instagram, click the link in the bio. You can see the t-shirts and mugs on our Instagram page. Such a cool mug. Yeah. You're really jealous of me now, Brad. I can tell. So jealous. So I'm going to go buy one right now. Well, there's my piece of news that was just as important as yours. That's great. Well, <laughs> over the weekend, we've been working on uh, a new part of our backyard where we I built some raised garden beds. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we had some pea gravel delivered. So on Saturday, I spent uh, the bulk of my Saturday shoveling pea gravel into a wagon, taking the <laughs> wagon over to the area, mm. then shoveling it into the area of the garden. And, and it's, it's really turned out to be a cool little uh, project that uh, – was really the brainchild of Ashley. So um, she has the vision, and then I try to pull it off. Yeah, so, so what are you guys growing right now? Oh, no, we're not doing any vegetables. It's not a vegetable garden. It's just going to okay. be a flower garden. <laughs> oh. Nothing legal. It's just going to be a flower <laughs> Many garden. Many botanical gardens over here. Oh, no, that's awesome, man. That's <laughs> yeah, awesome. So we're really excited about that. So, yeah, that's kind of what's been going on. And kind of related to that, uh, Moses School did a farmer's market today. Whoa. Each, oh. each class grew these sprouts, so like different vegetables like lettuce, kale, cilantro, tomatoes, and then they sold them today. They threw their own farmer's market, so I went this morning and... Did you buy anything? Yep. Bought some stuff for my son. Well, so. it, it, since we're on the subject of gardens, if you guys need any lettuce, just okay. let me know, because mm. y'all know I do a vegetable garden each yes. each spring or whatever, and I'm always, for whatever reason, I haven't learned my lesson yet, I'm always overzealous with the lettuce. We don't consume lettuce fast enough at my house. And about this point in the year, you reach the point where you have to harvest all the lettuce that you have left, or it's just going to rot. Yes. Like, right oh, there. Yeah. And and so I harvested it it all, like, two days ago. And so anybody that wants lettuce, I got a lot of romaine. Well, oh, romaine? Yeah, I'll take some yeah. of that. Anyway, that's probably enough about our garden. Caesar salad? Yeah coffee mugs and things like that let's move this train along i'm interested to know what's your album this week jm jm's album of the This week is a single called Lone White Dove by an artist that I recently discovered that goes by the name of Abacasa Project. They're based out of New Mexico. Christian artists, they make Christian art, really cool songs. This song is called Lone White Dove. They have several singles available on their Spotify. This is uh, my favorite of the ones that I've listened to so far. And yeah, I don't know. I don't even remember how I discovered it. I, maybe I was just going through like new music. This came out in 2021, 
So I may have been on a playlist or something, saw it pop up, and started listening to it and just loved it. Just loved the vibe, loved the lyrics. just totally right up my alley. I love the chord progressions, the piano, everything happening. And I actually got into some Instagram conversations with the guy from Abacasa Project. I posted the song on my Instagram and he messaged me and started following Shades and listened to some of our music. So we, we've been talking oh, back and forth, awesome. wow. which has been really cool. But he's really really nice dude, and he's been making music for a while. He has several other projects that I may feature uh, coming up here on JM's Album of the Week. But, yeah, so check it out, Abacasa Project. There's another band that he has called The Church of Philadelphia. There's one called – there's another project. I think it's called Walk Like Enoch. Um, so he's got a lot of cool music and just a really rad dude that was really sweet, and we've been uh, – conversating back and forth which has been awesome about music and art and stuff so definitely check out his stuff support him you know if he's got some merch buy his merch we need to support local artists it's it's really it's really hard to be an artist it's really hard to to make a living uh playing music so go go support him go support what he's doing i'm really digging it a lot so abacasa project the song is called lone white dove it's awesome i'm gonna cool. check it out yeah definitely for sure check it out. i like it he actually did the intro for Bradford's book club. Yeah, this is very similar. I knew it sounded familiar. Did you listen to what happened during your book club segment last week? No. Of course. Didn't. Told you he only listens to the episodes he's in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, enough of that. Let's dive right into Bradford's book club. I'm sorry I was away last week, although I know exactly what happened. But without further delay, the book that I'm recommending this week is Surprised by Jesus by Dane Ortland. Have you all heard of Dane Ortland before? No, but I feel like if I write a book that it's got to be surprised by something. like Surprised just, by hope. It's, yeah, yeah. That, that's N.T. Wright's, but it, all, it started right. with Surprised by Joy, Joy which Lewis. is by C.S. Lewis. And so it's like... It's guaranteed to make it a bestseller. Right, right. If you're a Christian author, you need a surprise by. Is there no subtitle? Yeah. Subversive Grace and the Four Gospels. Okay. Hmm. I was going to say it can't be a Bradford's recommendation without a lengthy subtitle. (laughs) Well, of course. So I got a little distracted. But yes, you know, I came across this book because someone asked me for a book that talks about grace did i have a recommendation and i didn't have anything off the top of my head the bible well <laughs> i'm just trying to be a tool <laughs> and succeed yes but i didn't have anything that came off the top of my head and so i did some digging and saw that dane ortland had re- just re- recently released this book you know what i'm not sure if that's true did he recently release it let me go to the copyright page here. 2021. Yep. Recently released. <laughs> Never a doubt. And everything that I've read by Dane so far has been phenomenal. And so I know that this book is going to be the case. I've enjoyed what I've been able to read so far. So a little bit from the back cover. In this book, Dane Orland reflects on this subversive grace as it uniquely emerges in each of the four gospel accounts. 
In each gospel, the message and mission of Jesus is deeply surprising. In Matthew, we see the surprise of disobedient obedience. In Mark, we see the surprise of the king undergoing the fate of a criminal. In Luke, we see the surprise of the insiders becoming outsiders and the outsiders becoming insiders. In John, we see the surprise of the creator of the universe becoming one of his own creatures. So I would encourage you to pick up this book. I think you will enjoy it as Dane walks us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through the four Gospels. I imagine you'll be surprised by a few things you encounter. <laughs> Beautiful. Check and it out. Really, you know, just pick up any book by an Ortland. That's right. I, I don't. They, they're just. They got it going on, man. They got it going on right now. They write a lot. They do. Yeah. Some uh, some people I just don't understand. I just don't. You know, they're so prolific. I mean. Anyway. I know. It's pretty crazy. All right. Well, thank you guys for both of those recommendations. I wish right now that we could read an email, but sadly we can't because even though someone promised me they were emailing us, we have no email. Uh-oh. Looking at you, Doug. Wow. Looking at you, Doug Abernathy. Called out. Doug asked me. He's like, hey, when do y'all record this week? I said Wednesday. He mm. said, well, good. That means I got time to slide into the email corridor. And Guess what? Corridor's empty. Wow. Yeah, anyway. Empty. Let your yes be yes, Doug. That's right. But... You can email in if you would like to uh, comment on this book or this album or anything else. Because it's midweek, as Brad always says, you're part of the conversation. That's so right. Email, we want you to be. The email address is midweek at shadesvalley.org. Email me about the new Batman movie. I finally watched it last night. Oh, so we need to do an a whole episode other, about it. It's a whole other conversation, but yeah. email me about it. We I need, loved it. We need to do an episode. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's very emo, which There's means it's right there. up my alley. So good. All right. But this week, we're not talking about the new Batman movie. No. So we uh, we often, well, always, we always say that this is a podcast about theology, culture, and all things shade. And we'll tend to do episodes that sometimes have a focus more on one of those things than the other. So like our Meet a Member episodes, you know, really focus on shades. Um, sometimes we'll do episodes that are solely about culture, whether that's something like a movie, like uh, the Batman or we did the Last Dance or other things like that. Um, and then we have episodes that are definitely more theologically driven. Uh, but today I actually wanted to do all three. And I want to do all three because um, of current events that have happened in our culture that I want us to reflect on theologically uh, and ask what this means specifically for us at Shade. So I want to do all of all of those things. But before we get in to that, because it's definitely more of a serious uh, conversation and serious topic, uh, part of what's going to help us talk about what's going on in culture is a little something that John Mark has printed here from an organization called the pour over. So before we get into the serious uh, uh, conversation, I wanted us to, to be able to talk about the pour over for just a second and what that is. Yeah, so I discovered the pour over through a, a podcast that I listened to. They actually had the guy that started it on and he was talking about what this newsletter and podcast is. Basically, it's a quick six minute podcast that comes out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And it's basically like they, they send it straight to your inbox as well. They do a podcast and a newsletter. Newsletter takes about five to six minutes to read. And it's a quick summary, like these quick bites of the news. So there's no opinion. It's literally just telling you what is happening in the news. And they do the podcast that way, and they do the newsletter that way. But what's cool is, after each story, 
they always have like a reflection uh, from a Christian's point of view. They always reference a Bible verse. They read it. Um, and so it's a nice way of hearing the news, but also being able to recenter yourself after what you've read or heard and look at it through the lens of your faith. So I have really been enjoying this podcast. I told Jonathan and Brad about it. Jonathan's gotten into it as well. Yeah, he, he told me about the pour over. He sent me, sent me this link. <laughs> it was like, hey, you want to subscribe for the pour over? And what I didn't know in doing this was uh, this is how they're getting their name out there, one of the ways, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, it's very smart. Is that uh, because I subscribed through his link, he got credit for my subscription, and if he got, if he gets, what is it, three, three, three people to subscribe, then he would get a sticker, and if he got ten, then he would get a coffee mug. And we all already know how I feel about coffee mugs. Right, we've already so, talked about. You that. know, if he gets twenty, then he gets a T-shirt. So as soon as I find out that's what's going on, you can imagine what happened for me. I uh, I went on a mission. You went into overdrive. I mode. did. I did. <laughs> And may or may not have guilted a few of my family members, but let me tell you, I'm enjoying my pour-over coffee mug. Wow, I haven't yeah. seen it yet. It's upstairs. It's in it's in my study, and my sticker I have ironically placed on the side of my Keurig. Um, Jam, how's your coffee mug and sticker? I it hasn't happened yet. You know, I'm <laughs> wow. I'm a little behind. I think I'm he's not- bitter. I'm not as intense as you are about the sticker oh. and the coffee mug. Well, I think I think. Uh, what what we can do is if think, anybody I out think there Jonathan has a problem. Here, no, <laughs> <laughs> he said my name is Vengeance. This is true. Um, <laughs> JM clearly has a problem having just seen this Batman film. Clearly, we have um, a lot we need to work through. No, here's a really funny thing that's actually happening in the booth right now. For some reason, I just managed to unscrew my microphone. Oh, he's trying to screw so it. So I'm back trying in. to screw it back on while I continue to talk and do the show. You're doing <laughs> a great job. Thank you guys. Uh, but. No, so here's what we can do. If you check... <laughs> quit laughing at me, Brad! <laughs> He's laughing at my pain of me trying to get... <laughs> we're definitely, you, this we're episode definitely keeping all this. will get serious at some oh, point. Oh, it will. It oh, will. wow. He's completely taken the mic off It now. came off. Okay. All right. This is going to be really hard to get back pause. on. We can leave all this in, but we're going to pause right now and take this next part out. Yep. Okay. We can continue now. For just so y'all know, that took about five minutes. <laughs> Brad just continued to laugh at me and mock me the whole time. I did not. Oh, anyway, where were we? Oh, so what I was trying to say was, if you are interested in the pour over and you look at it, what you should do is you should text or email John Mark so he can send you his specific link, and he can earn his way up to his sticker and, and coffee mug. That's yes. what I was saying. I yes, was trying to help you out. Thank you. Anyway, okay, but now that you know what the pour-over is, we are going to shift into uh, more serious mode right here um, because John Mark was going to use the pour-over to help us talk about what it is that um, has happened here recently in our cultural context uh, that we want to reflect on today. So go ahead. This is just going to help us contextualize. I know that a lot of people, you know, this is obviously a big topic, a big conversation, so I know a lot of people have been following it, but just so that we're all on the same page so they sent in uh, one of their emails. They sent uh, the news on Roe versus Wade, and here's what uh, they said: The Supreme Court is reportedly set to overturn Roe v. Wade. It's a decades-long saga, but here are a few key points. In 1973, the Supreme Court ruled women have a constitutional right to abortion in the case of Roe v. Wade. Last year, 
The Supreme Court heard the case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health over whether Mississippi's 15-week abortion ban was constitutional. The case is still pending. Monday evening, which this would have been last week, Politico obtained a draft opinion on the case signed by a majority of the justices, which affirms Mississippi's ban as legal and overrules Roe v. Wade, calling it, quote, egregiously wrong. Yesterday, the Supreme Court verified the draft was authentic and announced into investigation into who spilled the beans. So what does this mean? Officially, nothing. Unofficially, a lot. This is an unprecedented leak from the typically ironclad Supreme Court, not the official decision, which isn't expected until June or July. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, it would mean the legality of abortion will be determined at a state level. Thirteen states have so-called trigger laws that would immediately make abortion illegal, and in time it's expected roughly half of states would ban or substantially limit abortion and half would allow it. Um, so that's where I'll stop right there on on their newsletter. I'm just curious: is Alabama one of those 13 states? I don't believe it is. I'm not sure I'm because not there was a there was definitely there was a news podcast that I was listening to that talked about those trigger laws, and they listed off the states that have them. And I feel free everybody to fact check me, but I'm pretty sure that Alabama wasn't listed on there. Which actually, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is what's going on. Uh, within our culture, this uh, uh, leaked Supreme Court majority opinion that if it does hold, and this is the way they rule in March, as John Mark said, it would overturn Roe v. Wade, meaning that abortion laws would be determined on the state level. Now, as soon as that leak happened, obviously that generated mass reaction, mm -hmm. mass conversation that, that was obviously overwhelmingly partisan. Um, you know, uh, overwhelmingly, now this does not characterize every single individual that would claim to be Democrat or Republican or what have not, but overwhelmingly, uh, the political left and Democrats uh, would be uh, very against the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and Republicans, the political right, would be very for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Both, both sides uh, framing themselves as pro-something and framing the opposition as anti-something. And as soon as this situation uh, erupted, there, I, I mean, we we as a culture were just overloaded with noise, just anger, rage on both sides from from everybody. Just and 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 not just at the uh, at the news level or the political level, but at the individual level, especially through uh, social media. And here's what we don't want to do today: we do not want to add to the noise. That's that's not our goal. We're not here to like do a roundtable on here's our opinion on um, policies and on the leak and on uh, the vote and the blah, 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 and all those different things. Here's all of our that, – that, that's not what we're here to do. We're not here to stir up more anger and rage or any of those kinds of things. What, what we want to do on Shades Midweek – I'm a pastor. Uh, we're pastors. Our job, which is just, it's a shepherd. Our job is to try and do everything we can to shepherd our people, not to think like we think, not to think like the political left or the political right, but to think in line with scripture. We're to direct people towards the great shepherd who is Jesus. As a, as a pastor, I'm not, I'm supposed to do everything I can to minimize my opinion. Um, 
and and point people to to Jesus. And so that's what we want to do. And what what I think should be happening is I think that in this conversation, Christians should have a distinct voice that doesn't sound like the right or the left. Uh, because right now, those voices are overwhelmingly angry and hate-filled. Mm. Um, and not not righteous anger, hate-filled anger, um, and demonization of the opposition. And, and I think that Christian's voice should cut through that noise and be distinct. I think we should have what Scripture calls speech that's seasoned with salt. It's distinct. It's unique. It's different in the world. So, so that's what's going on culturally. That's why we're talking about it, uh, what's happening in our culture, because we want to try and help shepherd uh, us as a local body, Shades Valley Community Church. So in order to do that, uh, we have to move from the cultural to the theological. I think we need to think theologically uh, about the issues that are at stake uh, anytime we're having this this conversation. And it, it's hard to not oversimplify. It's hard to to get into all of the uh, complexities uh, that go into, talking about an issue such as abortion. Uh, so at the risk of oversimplification, I'm going to call us, at least in this hour, and, and you are welcome, everybody listening, you are welcome to pursue further conversation uh, with us, with myself. Uh, we want to help. We want to pray with you. We want to weep with you. We want to help uh, you think through and wrestle through these things. But at the, at the risk of oversimplification, I want to call us today to reflect and think deeply about two biblical truths, two biblical truths that I think lie at the heart of, of the way Christians should uniquely talk uh, about this issue. So what are those two truths? Truth number one, all people are created in the image of God. Truth number two, we are called to compassionate care of all people, especially the vulnerable the poor, and the oppressed. And what gets really interesting is particularly when you look at the Bible's call to compassionate care for all people, it overwhelmingly draws attention specifically to women and children in difficult situations. So we need robust theological application of both of those truths to both baby and mom. Pe- people that embrace so so I I think I think I could be wrong, but I think every Bible believing Christian would embrace both of the truths that I just elicited. They will apply them differently, but I think they would embrace both of those truths, affirm those truths. And people that embrace these truths, they typically try to apply them only to baby or only to mom, one or the other. And I think that we've got to apply both of these truths to both baby and mom. So let's try to walk through and do a little bit of reflection on that. Uh, and I just want to walk us through some text and just kind of sit and reflect on what Scripture is saying. So let's start with truth number one. Truth number one is all people 
are created in the image of God. That truth comes straight out of Genesis chapter 1 in the creation narrative, uh, most specifically Genesis 1.27. So God created man, that's mankind, in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. So traditionally, this is referred to as the Mago Dei, the image of God, and this is the reason that Christians throughout history have affirmed the sacredness, or the sanctity is the buzzword that gets used, uh, but of all life, of all human life. And yes, that does mean that we affirm the sacredness of life of the unborn, life of those who are in the womb. And it's not just this text that leads us to do that. The, the Bible is littered with text. Uh, that affirm the dignity, the humanity, and the sacredness of life uh, from the moment of conception. So let me just walk us through just a few. Psalm 139 and verse 13, uh, verse I'm sure many of you are familiar with. The psalmist says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. You know, on Sunday, I talked about how a lot of us are functional deists, uh, deism is the idea that God kind of wound up the world like a watch and let it go, and everything now just kind of happens by natural process. But that's not the way that the Bible envisions the world working at all. It envisions God as actively involved uh, sovereignly in everything that happens. His providence is present in the feeding of every bird on the planet, in the growth of every flower on the planet, in uh, the blowing of every breeze. He, none of that happens without his willing it to happen. In him we live and move and have our being. I, I tell my kids uh, all the time, the, the way I'll express this truth to them is I'll say, gravity works because God wills it so. And the moment he stops willing it, we're all floating. Mm. Um, yeah, Chesterton has a beautiful line about the sun rising. Yeah. How God tells the sun to rise again. Do it again. Do it again, yeah. Yeah, every day. And I, I, he, he talks, I love that. I know the quote you're talking about. He talks about... Uh, uh, something to the effect of perhaps each daisy isn't grown basically by natural process, but perhaps God makes each daisy yep. individually and he's each never one. grown tired of making them. Yeah. And I, th I think that's exactly what we're seeing right here with the application to each human being. I knitted you together. You, know, you knitted me together in your mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret, in intricately woven. In the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Now, lest we think that's just the psalmist's perspective and not also God's perspective, we read God himself saying things like this to the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So God speaks of knowing us intimately, creating us, and, and us as persons of value created in his image, even when we are in the womb. One of the texts that will get brought up uh, a lot in this conversation, um, and so it's a very interesting text. It's a very difficult one, actually, because there's a lot of translation issues that we're unsure of in it. But it's Exodus 21, 
in verse 22. It's this law about basically if two men are fighting and accidentally injure a pregnant woman so that it makes her give birth prematurely, like what's to be done in that situation. But what's interesting is no matter how you parse the language, it affirms the uh, the children uh, that suffer in that situation as life, uh, life made in the image of, of God. Another kind of just narrative that I think does the same thing um, is actually Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we get this beautiful story of when uh, Mary is pregnant with Jesus and, and newly pregnant, and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is pregnant with um, John the Baptist. And this is what we read. So Mary goes and she enters the house and greets Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. John the Baptist fulfills a unique role uh, in salvation history. He's actually described as someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, um, which is unique in a description amongst salvation history. But what's interesting is what Elizabeth is recognizing is John, pre-birth John, recognizes the presence of pre-birth Christ. Uh, the forerunner of Christ in his full personhood recognizes the full personhood of the presence of his Savior, and so does, so does she. It's another story just affirming the full personhood of, of life in the womb. So when we say that all people are created in the image of God, uh, it's important that we affirm that applies to life in the womb, but not just life in the womb. I said that people want to apply these truths to just baby or just mom. We can't apply that truth to just baby. We've got to apply that truth to mom, too. Every mom in every situation created in the image of God. Every, every mom in every situation, regardless of the decision she makes in any of those situations, regardless of whether or not we agree with, regardless of whether a mother decides to have an abortion, regardless of whether a mother decides to keep her child, she's still created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And we are to treat her as such. Scripture affirms the sanctity, the dignity, the sacredness of human life from womb to tomb, as the saying goes. I'll give you just a couple of scriptures that affirm that fact. So again, we'll go to the psalmist. Psalm 71 and verse 6. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. Verse 9. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. Like The psalmist himself has this view of his sacred relation to the Lord and of belonging to the Lord literally from womb to tomb. He goes on to say, 
in verse 18. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who have come. You, this is verse 20, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. This confidence, actually, that uh, he is so valued by God. God hasn't just been his God from womb to tomb, but through the tomb, even into eternity. It's just this beautiful picture of all of life as sacred and belonging to God. To move into a narrative, a story that I think illustrates this point, especially specifically with women and specifically with women in difficult, vulnerable situations, you need go no further than the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, this is a story about women who find themselves in some very desperate and difficult situations and normally would be, uh, as a result, on the bottom side of society and uncared for by society. And it's a story of how God himself specifically cares for them. We get to the end of the book of Ruth. We read this in Ruth 4 and verse 14. Then the women said to Naomi, now Naomi uh, was a widow. Both her sons, her husband had died. Both her sons had died. She had no children. She was older. In this cultural context, she had no hope of remarriage at this age. Uh, which meant she had no hope because the way that women, especially widows, were treated, like she, you had to depend upon family, either your husband or your subsequent children, to care for you, especially as you got into old age. This is why widows, this is why God is so concerned throughout Scripture for the care of widows, because they were so neglected by society and put on society, on the underside of society. And so, so Naomi's in that situation, and her daughter-in-law, who's also a widow, has stuck with her. And God has worked to provide for her daughter-in-law, to provide her daughter-in-law with a husband, with a child, which is a grandchild for Naomi. So Naomi, who was in the midst of this desperate, dire situation, God himself has provided miraculously and rescued. And this is the other women in the community, what they say to Naomi. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him, to her grand, to her grandson. There's a recognition from the women in the community. You were in a position that was hopeless. God himself has cared for you. Greater than seven sons ever could. God himself has care for this woman in a desperate situation. Um, one could even argue, one could argue that Naomi had spent parts of her life, this is a little speculative, but is faithless towards the Lord. She and her husband and her family had left Israel when things got hard in the midst of a famine. Her sons had married Moabite women, which they were not supposed to do. Uh, and when her husband and her sons die, she doesn't exactly speak the greatest of, of the Lord. One could make that argument, and God is still faithful to her, loves her. Um, it's just a, it's a narrative illustration of God seeing all people, even those that society neglects, as valuable. Of him seeing 
Naomi. That's valuable. Uh, we could go to Acts chapter 6, where the early church uh, specifically makes sure that they are caring um, for widows who are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. We could go to 1 Timothy 5, where Timothy talks about um, women who are in vulnerable situations. Again, widows, because that was the most vulnerable in, in that society at the time of the church needing to care for them, of their families needing to be sure they care for them first and foremost. But if they don't have family, the church stepping in and being that family. So if, if, if I was going to kind of sum all this up, I would probably just take us to James 1. In verse 27. So talking about the fact that all of life is sacred, and we've got to apply that truth to both baby and mom. James 1 and verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled. So we're going to claim to be believers. We're going to claim that we believe all life is sacred. If we're going to make that claim in any way that's pure and undefiled, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's to care for the most vulnerable, which typically includes kids and mom, women and mom. And so I just want to say that as believers, as we reflect theologically on this situation, we cannot be a people who are pro-baby, an anti-woman, anti-mom. We cannot be a people who are pro-woman, pro-mom, and anti-baby. We've we've got to be a people who affirm the sacredness of life of baby and and mom. Mm. Um, you know, as you were talking about affirming human dignity and others, a quote from Andy Crouch came to mind. He talks about being in the Chicago airport and walking through the terminal and he said normally he would be down on his phone or just kind of daydreaming but there was a time where he decided that each person that he passed he was going to look at and say image bearer and so he did that after each person looked at him and said image bearer image bearer image bearer did over and over again and he said that after he did it for a few minutes he just became totally overwhelmed with the reality of what he was stating. He did the same thing with who um, the people he would interact with that were uh, getting his coffee yeah. or a janitor that he passed. And he just said it totally transformed his mind and his perspective. And just as we talk about um, the conversations that are being had on social media, social media, all the dialogue, everything that that can bring up. Nonetheless, as we see all that for each person saying image bearer, image bearer, image bearer, just to reaffirm um, their human dignity yeah. and to remind ourselves of the ro really the robust and beautiful foundation we have um, the, that says that every human is, is valuable because they are created in the image of God. That reminds me of, of, I forget where he said it, but Lewis, C.S. Lewis, talked about how, like, if we were able to see others mm -hmm. the way that uh, God sees, I don't remember if he says the way God sees or the way we are created to be and all that, mm -hmm. that we would be beholding being so incredibly gloriously beautiful that we would be tempted to fall down and worship them. Wow. Um, and, yeah, it's just, it's just a powerful way of of affirming that exact same 
same truth that you're talking about. And, you know, we, we literally as believers, we have to divorce ourselves from this truth, uh, in order to pursue some of the lines of argument that a lot of people pursue or, or to pursue some of the attitudes that, that people display. Well, you, you either have to divorce yourself from the truth of uh, infants created in the image of God, um, even in the womb, or, you know, if you're on the other side of the aisle, you've got to divorce yourself from every mom created in the image of God and, and just the way that you speak about um, people who disagree with you mm-hmm. and such. And so, yeah. I, we absolutely have to affirm truth number one and apply it to both baby and mom. And that leads us to talk about truth number two, uh, which we've been talking about in a way, so I can, I'll can i be a little bit briefer here for us. Uh, but truth number two is that we are called to compassionate care of all people. We are called to compassionate care of all people. And that's a truth that has to be applied to both baby and mom. We've got to compassionately, we cannot choose. Let's compassionately care for baby, but not mom. Or compassionately care for mom, but not baby. We've got to compassion as Christians because of truth number one. We are compelled to do truth number two. So just to give you just a couple of texts to reflect on. Exodus 22, verse 22. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Like, this is a negative law. You shall not do this. What shall you not do towards those who are in vulnerable situations, children or women? You shouldn't mistreat them. A lot of the rhetoric, a lot of what's being said, a lot of what's being tweeted, a lot of definitely, definitely, absolutely falls underneath the banner of mistreatment, of lack of care of lack of compassion towards women. Man, is there a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Towards children. Um, towards families who have lost children. Certain lines of argumentation that would delegitimize the pain that they have felt. Um, this kind of speech has no place in the mouth of a believer in Jesus Christ. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Another text, Deuteronomy 10 and verse 18. He, that's God, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore. In other words, this is what your God does. This is the kind of heart that your God has. And so this is the heart that you are to share. So this is not a negative law. Don't mistreat. This is a positive law. He executes justice. Justice is not just the correction of a wrong. It's the restoration of a right. 
This is what God does. This is what we are to do, not just for baby, not just for mom, for baby and mom. Just one more text. Um, Psalm 68 and verse 5. It calls God the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. This is how our God self-identifies. This is who he is. And so this is who he has called us to be. So, what does all of this mean for us at Shades? Like, as we reflect on these truths theologically, what, do, what does this mean? What do, what do we actually do? I've got a couple of thoughts. You guys can feel free to, to jump in, add things, or comment. Um, first, I think it means that we have to be a people who hold together and operate with both compassion and conviction. I'm totally stealing that from the Ann campaign. Sounds familiar. Y'all have, y'all have heard us talk about the Ann campaign before. Um, I think that they, and the way that they talk about the issue of abortion, I think they echo a lot of what we're talking about right here. They even actually, I believe they have a sidearm organization that does some phenomenal work. The Whole um, Life Project. Yes, that's what it's called, the Whole Life Project. And so you can check out what they do. I think, again, they are modeling uh, what it looks like for Christians to have a unique and distinct voice in our culture as we venture into these things. But we've got to speak with compassion and conviction. Uh, I will not compromise my conviction about the sanctity of the life of every human being, including those who are unborn, nor will I compromise the sanctity of the life of all of these precious women who find themselves seeking an abortion for a whole host of different reasons. And my call is not to uh, sit in condemnation and judgment, but to reach out and not to compromise my convictions, but to reach out in compassion and, and love and care, um, which has got to go beyond mere words. That's James' point mm-hmm. in what, what is it, in James 1, I think it is, where he says you can't just say to somebody, you know, be well and be fed, you know, and then just send them on their way. That's it's faith without works, and it's, it's dead. In other words, if I'm going to say, hey, we don't just, I don't just care about baby and baby's life. I care about mom. Well, a lot, not in every case, but in a lot of cases, a lot of moms end up in these difficult places because of real practical issues, whether those are issues of, of poverty or issues of childcare or issues of a whole host of things. I'm not trying to stereotype anything right here, mm-hmm. but there's a whole host of complex real life issues. I've got to care about those issues. Mm-hmm. I've got to care about that mom. I've got to care. We as Christians, we can't say, hey, we care about your baby, but not about these hard situations that are making you make a really hard decision. We've got to care about baby mm-hmm. mom. So compassion towards both conviction. Yeah. John, as you, as you were talking, uh, what came to mind was an article I read from an individual who had worked with various uh, pregnancy centers, I think, for 15 years. And he talked about his experience with these pregnancy centers. I think his job was fundraising. And he said that fundraising is always a hard job because you see 
the good things and the bad things with every organization. And then you have to go on the road and ask everyone for money and talk about how awesome the organization is. Uh, but he talks about his experience with the pregnancy centers that he worked with. And I thought what he said was, was really helpful and backs up what you're saying about compassion. He says that um, while being pro-life is associated with uh, the right wing of American politics, you'd probably be surprised by the average volunteer's politics at a pregnancy center that he, that he worked at. So these are people that don't fit neatly into our political categories. And if you visited a crisis pregnancy center, I don't think you'd feel a heavy fog of guilt as much as a pervasive ethos of grace. I've never been around more open-minded, accepting people than the women who volunteer at the crisis pregnancy centers. They don't show up to oppose something. They show up to support people, especially vulnerable people. Many women who do decide to get abortions will come back to the pregnancy centers for counseling, precisely because they felt a sense of love and grace during their visits. Those women who keep the babies, I thought this was really um, important. Those women who keep their babies describe their experience at the pregnancy centers in surprising ways. They usually don't say, I realized I should keep the baby. They'll say, I realized I could keep the baby. They aren't argued out of a decision. They're shown a path that makes keeping the baby plausible. At pregnancy crisis centers, mom and dad see free diapers, food and clothing. They see job training and connections. They see shoulders to cry on. They see a community that will stand with them, a place to belong. Yeah, and that's that's where I think, you know, we've got to move beyond just uh, arguments, just our convictions, mm-hmm. and move into compassion that is demonstrated um, in a way that uh, embraces and loves um, even people that we would disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you um, show love and grace uh, to to those who even may um, make decisions that you end up disagreeing with? Um, to those who have different opinions as to the best things that should be done to um, help uh, support women and come alongside them. Um, those who disagree on policy. There are brothers and sisters in Christ mm-hmm. who disagree on what the best policy, both on the national and state level, should be. You know, Can you still show love and grace to, to them? And, that, and that's where... That's where this next piece comes in, that we need to be a people that have what I've mentioned several times, speech seasoned with salt. Um, And I think that applies both to the content of what we say in this conversation, um, and I think it applies also to the tone of what Mm -hmm. we say in this conversation. It should be different. It should stick out. It should be salted. Yeah. Yep. Um, and I think that applies both as we talk to our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, who we have disagreements over ways to approach the issue. Um, and I think it applies as we talk to people who aren't our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, 
I think it applies, like you were just talking about, as we talk to people who are in crisis. Mm. Um, having speech that is seasoned with grace. You know, you know, as you talked about the experience uh, of that person with a crisis pregnancy center mm-hmm. and like the way in which uh, women who'd had abortions would return for counseling or even what the women who ended up keeping their children with the, the way yeah. they would phrase it and talk yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah. What came to mind to me uh, was the way in which uh, the most vulnerable and neglected and rejected of society were constantly attracted and kept coming back to Jesus. Mm. Like he found himself all the time with yep. people. And, and, and it wasn't because it was because they were attracted, like they came back and it was because of, he didn't compromise his convictions for a second, but it was because of his compassion yep. and his grace. So, Totally. Yeah, I think we've got, what, what does this mean for Shades? We've got to be a people of compassion and conviction who have speech that is different, that's seasoned with salt, that displays grace. And I think finally, uh, it means that we don't just need to talk. We need to listen. We need to listen to others to hear their stories. We need to weep with those who weep, feel deeply. We need to pray. Uh, and we need to love anyway and always. Um, we need to, you know, if, uh, can you imagine yourself in a crisis pregnancy situation where you are working with someone and you're trying to come alongside, love, support, encourage, and of course your hope and goal is that they will keep their child, but they decide not to. Can you love them anyway? Can you love them always? Can you keep coming alongside them? Keep praying for them. Keep weeping with them. I, I think that this is what we've got to do uh, as as Christians. I think this is the unique voice that that we need to have. And I hope, I hope that us having this conversation doesn't add to the noise. I hope it's helpful. I hope it's it's different. I hope it challenges all of us. Um, my goal is not to challenge my brothers and sisters who are on the left. My goal is not to challenge my brothers and sisters who are on the right. My goal is to challenge my brothers and sisters on the left and the right. Uh, my goal is for Scripture to constantly be challenging my heart. Um, and uh, and yeah, yeah. I think I think that's all that I had to say. I don't know if you guys have anything that you wanted to say or add. You don't have to. Um, but at this point, what I, what I would like to do is I, I realize this is a deep, difficult, uh, hard conversation. Um, and for a lot of people, it is a very personal conversation. Uh, just based on statistics, I am certain that there are women in our body who have had an abortion. And I don't want you for a single solitary second to feel condemned um, or or judge. We want to love you and love you well and point you to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we all need. Uh, abortion is not the new scarlet letter A. It's not this unique thing amongst all other uh, sins. And I, 
I want us all to love one another with the compassion and the care of Christ. So if you are someone whose life has been touched by abortion, um, know that you can come and talk to us, any of us. Um, and if, if you have questions about things we've talked about on here, need further clarification, um, if you'd like to talk to uh, a, a woman in our body, we have lots of godly women leaders in this body who I know would be more than happy um, to sit down and to, to talk with you. If, if you're confused as to what you should or shouldn't say or do politically or uh, on social media, we're happy to talk through any of those things. All I'm trying to say, I think I'm just, I keep circling the same thing, is that we're available to talk, to pray, to weep, to continue the conversation. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I, you know, to kind of sum up some things that Jonathan has said already, you know, we're trying to, us and many others, I feel like, within the broader Christian community, the body of Christ, are trying to recalibrate how we have these discussions and dialogue around these types of issues and a myriad, myriad of other issues as well. And so I think... It's like at the, the end of this pour-over newsletter, they say, they just kind of sum up at the end after they talk about the news with Roe v. Wade. They say, we are called to love everyone always. That means loving and caring for the unborn, single mothers, couples who have received abortions, and people who passionately disagree with you on this topic. Do everything in love, First Corinthians 16. And so we're trying to recalibrate how we have these discussions we want to have this dialogue i think the church and the community here it should be a safe space for us to have these conversations because we do have a diversity of opinions politically here at shades i know people that vote democrat that vote independent that vote republican and so i know that there's probably going to be some different places where people fall in this thing um but I think we're trying to keep everything Christ-centered, biblically-centered. What does the Bible say? Yeah. And yeah. not and not get too partisan and not get too political. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and we're, we're not. Here's what we're not trying to do. We're not trying to please everybody. We're not trying to play both sides and not trying to please everybody. I, my, my assumption is that this will not please anybody. <laughs> my assumption is that we will make everybody mad. Um, not that not that we're we're gonna we're gonna please uh, the the right and the left. Uh, but that's my that's not my job. Um, that's not our job yeah. to to please the right and left. We want to be faithful to Scripture, and I don't think um, that. Uh, and I think that's the the church's job. That's not a political a political party's job is not to set the example for Christians as to what it means to be faithful to Scripture. And if you think that either of our political parties are doing that, um, yeah, that's another conversation we should have. Um, right. right. <laughs> but mm. but that's what we want to try to do is say, here's the truth of what we believe Scripture says, and it challenges all of us. And, and yeah, I think that that pour-over quote that you read there at the end sums it up well. And one other thing is, for those of you who have listened to this whole conversation no matter where you fall politically, where you fall along these lines, you know, I would say, I would encourage you to pray and to ask the Lord, regardless of where you stand on Roe v. Wade or how you feel about what the Supreme Court 
uh, what they po- uh, potentially may uh, decide here. How there's obviously a need. We talked about pregnancy crisis centers. Yeah. We've you know we've talked about adoption before on the podcast. What are ways in which you can help mothers, mm. the unborn babies, uh, families that need help? What are some ways in which you can do that and maybe ask the Lord to guide you in that and how you can not just add a voice to the conversation, but actually be the hands and feet, Yeah. Or, you know, whether that's volunteering at a pregnancy crisis center, whether that's knowing someone personally in your life that needs help, that needs counsel, that needs care, that needs to be directed to some, someone um, that they can talk to, whether that's giving to an organization that does great foster care work or a, or an adoption nonprofit or a couple that's adopting or maybe considering foster care or adoption in your own life, whatever that looks like. I'm not saying that you have, have to do any of those, any of those things, but to talk to the Lord and try to try to seek and, and hear what he has to say, because I think there's already so many voices in the conversation. And I think the best way that we as a community could come together is to actually do things that help and reach out and care for these people, care for the vulnerable. Right. And I think just as you were listing various examples right there, I think, I think it's important. There's something that all of us can do. Um, you know, you may be listening to this and you're like, I'm a single dude in my early twenties. I don't, I don't know that they have a place for me to volunteer at a crisis right. pregnancy right. center or, you know, I can't really do foster care right. or, or what have not. But there are things you can do. Uh, you can pray. John Mark mentioned giving to these organizations that do these. There are things you can do to come alongside and support uh, others who are invested in these areas to support foster families, to support adoptive families, to support women in crisis. There, there are things that you can do uh, to help uh, provide that support. Uh, not everybody can do everything. We, we recognize that. But that's why God has put us together as the body of Christ with different parts, with different giftings, with different passions. And, um, and yeah, I think John Mark's exactly right. If this is something um, that is the Lord impresses upon your heart and that uh, I, th- I think there's a way that all of us can come alongside and, and proactively contribute to, to care for the vulnerable. Yeah, and I would just like to add, if, if you're someone that's doing this work, <laughs> whether that's work at a crisis right. pregnancy center or whether that's through foster care or adoption or a variety of other things, I just want to say that the Lord sees you mm-hmm. and that the work that you're doing is, is, is hard and the needs are many, and at times I imagine... I don't I don't do that work myself so I don't know exactly what it's like but I can imagine that uh, it's exhausting and overwhelming because the needs are so great and then you're doing it in the midst of the swirling conversation that we have in our culture and so you're feeling the effects of that as well and so I just want to encourage you in the work that you're doing and s- and say thank you and um remind you that you need to take care of yourself in the midst of it, um, however that may look for you, but that we are thankful. I know there are many shades that do this work, and so that we are thankful for you, and, and we want to honor you in this community. 
Well, guys, um, I know we don't do this for every episode, but it's okay if we close this one with a word of prayer. Definitely. Father, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you are a God who made all people in your image and who cares uh, for all people. And you challenge us. And you call us um, to share your heart. I pray that we at Shades Valley would be a church that does that. And I, I pray that that would be displayed um, in our disposition, in the way that we talk about difficult things, uh, like the issue of abortion, I pray, uh, that we would be a people that wouldn't compromise our convictions at all, but would be also simultaneously known for compassion. I pray that we would be a people uh, that it would be really hard for the world to look at and use the word anti. I, I pray that we would be a people who would be pro-baby, pro-woman, um, that we would be a people who would love well, um, empower us to do so. We thank you um, for all of those uh, who do amazing work uh, in crisis pregnancy centers. We thank you for foster families, for adoptive families. We thank you for all those who come alongside of them and support them, who provide relief care and all of these different kinds of things. We thank you uh, for those in our body who are called to this. Let us see them. Give us eyes to see them and to come alongside and support them. We pray for children children in the foster system, children in need of adoption. Uh, we pray for um, children who are not yet born, Lord, that you see them, you lovingly knit them together, you care for them, and we thank you. We pray for women, women who find themselves in situations for a whole host of reasons um, where they're facing down a decision of an abortion, we pray that you would provide um, through, I pray first and foremost, through the church, you would provide people who would love, care, come alongside, support, provide resources, um, and, and, and care for women in those difficult situations. I pray that you would make us a people that are compassionate towards and love, um, yeah, love always and love anyway, even those that we disagree with. We love you. We thank you that you are compassionate and gracious with us. May that make us compassionate and gracious with all. We pray these things in your name. Amen. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us. Uh, we thank you for listening. We know this one has been uh, a lot heavier than a lot of our episodes, but we thank you for listening. And, uh, we'll 